Section 44 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Katerina. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 11, Part 2. Up on a hill, amidst a group of generals and high officers with a field glass at his eye, that is the situation in a war which produces the greatest aesthetic effect. The gentlemen who paint battle pieces and make illustrations for the journals know this too. Generals on a hill reconnoitring with their glasses are represented again and again, and just as often a leader pressing forward at the head of his troops on a horse, as white and light stepping as possible, stretching his arm out towards a point in the background all in smoke, and turning the head towards those rushing on after him, plainly shouting, Follow me, lads! From my station on this hill, one sees really a piece of battle poetry. The picture is magnificent, and sufficiently distant to have the effect of a real picture, without the details, the horrors and disgusts of the reality. No gushing blood, no death rattles, nothing but elevated and magnificent effects of line and color. Those far-extended ranks of the army corps winding on, that unbounded procession of infantry regiments, divisions of cavalry and batteries of artillery, then the ammunition train, the requisitioned country wagons, the pack horses, and, bringing up the rear, the baggage. The picture comes out still more imposing if, in the white country stretched out beneath the hill, you can see not merely movement of one, but the meeting of two armies. Then how the flashing sword blades, the waving flags, the horses rearing up like foaming waves mingle with each other, while amongst them clouds of smoke arise, forming themselves in places into thick veils, which hide all the picture, and when they lift, show groups of fighters. Then, as accompaniment, the noise of shots rolling through the mountains, every stroke of which thunders the word, death death, death through the air. Yes, that sort of thing may well inspire battle lays. And for the composition, too, of those contributions to the history of the period which are to be published after the conclusion of the campaign, the station on the hilltop offers favorable opportunities. There, at any rate, the narrative can be made out with some exactness. The X division met the enemy at N, drove him back, reached the main bulk of the army, Strong forces of the enemy showed themselves on the left flank, and so on and so on. But one who is not on the hill, peering through his field glass, one who is himself taking part in the action, he can never, never relate the progress of a battle in a way worthy of belief. He sees, feels, and thinks of only what is close to him. All the rest of his narrative is from intuition, for which he avails himself of the old formulas, Look, Tilling, one of the generals said to me, as I was standing near him on the hill. Is not that striking? A grand army, is it not? Why, what are you thinking about? What was I thinking about, my Martha? About you. But to my superior officer I could not say so. So I answered with all due deference some untruth. All due deference and truth have besides little to do with each other. The latter is a very proud fellow, and turns with contempt from all servility. The village is ours. No, it's the enemy's. Now ours again, and yet once more the enemy's. 
but it is no longer a village, but a smoking mass of the ruins of houses. The inhabitants, was it not really their village? Had left it previously and were away, luckily for them, for the fighting in an inhabited place is something really fearful, for then the bullets from friend and foe fall into the midst of the rooms and kill women and children. One family, however, had remained behind in the place which yesterday we took, lost, retook, and lost again. Namely, an old married couple and their daughter, the latter in childbed. The husband is serving in our regiment. He told me the story as we were nearing the village. There, Colonel, in that house with the red roof is living my wife with her old parents. They have not been able to get away, poor creatures. My wife may be confined any moment, and the old folks are half crippled. For God's sake, Colonel, order me there. Poor devil! He got there just in time to see the mother and child die. A shell had exploded under their bed. What has happened to the old folks I do not know. They are probably buried under the ruins. The house was one of the first set on fire by the cannonade. Fighting in the open country is terrible enough, but fighting amongst human dwellings is ten times more cruel. Crashing timber, bursting flames, stifling smoke, cattle run mad with fear, every wall fortress or barricade, every window a shot hole. I saw a breastwork there which was formed of corpses. The defenders had heaped up all the slain that were lying near, in order from that rampart to fire over onto their assailants. I shall surely never forget that wall in all my life. The man who formed one of its bricks, pent in among the other corpse bricks, was still alive and was moving his arm. Still alive. That is a condition occurring in a war with a thousand differences which conceals sufferings incalculable. If there were any angel of mercy hovering over the battlefield, he would have enough to do in giving the poor creatures, men and beasts, who are still alive, their coup de grace. Today we had a little cavalry skirmish in the open field. A Prussian cavalry regiment came forward at a trot, deployed into line, and then, with their horses well in hand and their sabers above their heads, rode down on us at a hand gallop. We did not wait for their attack, but galloped out against the enemy. No shots were exchanged. When a few paces from each other both ranks burst out into a thundering hurrah, shouting intoxicates, the Indians and Zulus know that even better than we do, and so we rushed on each other, horse to horse, knee to knee. The sabers whistled in the air and came down on the men's heads. Soon all were huddled together too close to use their weapons. Then they struggled breast to breast, and the horses, getting wild and frightened, snorted and plunged, reared up and struck about them. I too was on the ground once and saw, no very pleasant sight, a horse's hoof striking out within a hair's breadth of my temples. Another day of marching with one or two skirmishes. I have experienced a great sorrow. Such a mournful picture accompanies me. Among the many pictures of woe which are all around me, this ought not so to strike me, ought not to give me such pain. But I cannot help it. It touches me nearly and I cannot shake it off. Puxel, our poor, happy, good little dog. Oh, if I had only left him at home with his little master, Rudolph. He was running after us, as usual. Suddenly he gave a shriek of pain. The splinter of a shell had torn off his foreleg. He could not come after us, so is left behind and is still alive. Between twenty-four and forty-eight hours have passed, and he is still alive. 
Oh, master, my good master, his cries seemed to say. Do not leave poor Puxel here, his heart will break. And what especially pains me is the thought that the faithful dying creature must misunderstand me. For he saw that I turned round, that I must have understood his cry for help, and yet was so cold and so cruel as to leave him there. Poor Puxel could not understand that a regiment advancing to the attack, out of whose ranks comrades are falling and are left on the ground, cannot be ordered to halt for the sake of a dog who has been hid. He has no conception of the higher duty which I had to obey, and so the poor true heart of the dog is complaining of my unmercifulness. Only think of troubling oneself about such trumpery in the midst of the great events and gigantic misfortune which fill the present time. That is what many would say, with a shrug of the shoulders. But not you, Martha, not you. I know that a tear will come into your eyes for our poor Puxel. End of section 44